1: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. Sam, you're here too. How are you doing?
2: <laughs> I'm here too. I uh, hope that doesn't disappoint you, man. Um, I'm doing well. How
1: <laughs> how uh, how are you? I, I can't imagine like calling cowherding it by myself if you weren't here. Like If I had to just talk to myself for an hour. There's guys who do that, and I
2: don't know how they do it. I can't imagine I've done that doing it by myself. I've done that before. Um, back in my college radio days Uh, but the comfort there was knowing that no one was actually listening it was all for (laughs) practice so if if it if it actually mattered not sure I'd be able to do it yeah it'd be pretty hard shout out to anyone who is a solo podcaster out there because that shit is uh that's tough
1: yeah there's been a few times where like one of us has dropped off and we had to finish a podcast on our own and that was like five minutes of it i <laughs> think I, I think even by, by the way
2: i think that i think i've only ever been the person who drops off so you're saying it kindly <laughs> there <laughs>
1: that's true that's true hey so we have some news and this is the time of year where we have actual news to, fo- to actually talk about and the first thing is the, this is not suns related yet but the utah jazz are falling <laughs> apart it's official <laughs> The the implosion
2: that I've been waiting for is finally There it is. It's funny to me when you sent me the outline, you were like, all right, here's what we're going to talk about. (laughs) And I saw that this was first and I just started (laughs) laughing because I was like, "Uh, to believe that this is linked to the Suns in any way, we'll get there in a second. (laughs) but, But to believe that this is linked to the Suns in any way requires some steps of separation uh-huh. uh some some various layers right. right it's it's a conspiracy theory essentially it's you of deal course. in conspiracy theories it's basically your segment of the week at this point it's that time of your, year yeah your conspiracy theory but i knew that it, it was just perfect that you wanted to start here to right. dance a jig on the utah jazz uh jazz's grave if yeah. you will so yeah. go ahead i i give the uh, i give the floor up to you to talk about it
1: well first quinn snyder quit that's the first thing that happened which uh, I mean there were rumors about that like before the playoffs even started, which is always a good sign for a team that the coach has like let it be known that he no longer wants to coach there before the playoffs even start. And yeah, it happened. One of the rumors was that he was trying to sort of maneuver his way to the Lakers job. That part of the rumor appeared to not be true. that that happened after the Lakers hired the coach by the way, Darvin Ham. We haven't touched on that, but not overly interesting for me just yet. But Quinn Snyder's gone. And then, and this is, I think, where, first of all, Quinn Snyder being gone, I'm like, all right, it started. But the next step of it was directly from the man, Woj himself, reporting that Donovan Mitchell, and here's the quotes, is unsettled and unnerved and wondering what it means for the franchise's future, which is just, it's step one. It's step one of a player asking to be traded a star player asking to be traded the first thing is plant a little seed saying that you're not sure you're not happy you're a little upset and this is genuinely after multiple playoff exits for a team and that's happened multiple times for the Utah Jazz and now it's begun with Donovan Mitchell uh ask basically planting the seeds to to potentially ask to leave in the future
2: what do you think of that Well, just from Donovan's perspective, real quick, before we even talk about who he is as a player, because I think there's a lot to dissect there as well. But just from his perspective, it makes total sense to be unnerved about the future direction of this organization, right? (laughs) Given the playoff losses and given the fact we've talked about it multiple times before, you look at the Utah Jazz roster right now and forget the coaching thing for a second. That's weird, too. But also, what's their avenue for improvement? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're all old, too. Yeah they they exactly I mean Mike Conley is a a, a shell of his former self
1: terrible in the playoffs
2: absolutely horrid playoff run uh, Rudy Gobert maybe they're not tied to Rudy Gobert maybe he is that piece that they are willing to mm-hmm. deal if it means that they can preserve a relationship with Donovan but even him I mean look you can get something back for Rudy Gobert I don't doubt that for a second it's just what exactly can you get and mm-hmm. which exactly are the teams that are interested in a center of that particular play style It becomes a little more difficult, and if you're not willing, as I've heard from some jazz beat writers in the past, over the past several weeks as well, if you're not willing to part with Rudy Gobert, and you really still believe for some reason that Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert is the core, the number one, number two, um, that, I don't know, gets you over the hump, or at least puts you in contention, then you're really fucked, because (laughs) now your options are uh, trading Bogdanovich for... I don't know, maybe at best you can go ask Detroit right. about Jeremy Grant or something, but it's like you can swap in veteran wing pieces for other veteran wing pieces. But mm-hmm. it just, you know, it, it. we talk about the flexibility that the Suns have a lot. We've discussed it a lot over the past several uh, <laughs> several weeks with yeah. their mid-sized contracts. What right. is also an advantage that we neglect to talk about with their prospects. Yeah. Suns fans don't want to get rid of Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, necessarily. Um, but the mere fact that they could... Makes it a lot more interesting, the types of players that you can discuss the Suns potentially being able to acquire versus a team like the Utah Jazz. They just don't have many options right now. And so, yeah, I mean, Mitchell has every reason to be uh, unsettled, as and the report says.
1: And you didn't even mention the fact that him and Gobert appear to hate each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fair. <laughs> Which is like another level just added on top of this is that even if, for some reason—here's here's the dilemma— Which, of course, this is going to lead into Sam and I uh, trading for Donovan Mitchell in just a second, of course. But here's the dilemma. We're getting there. (laughs) That that the Utah Jazz are running into at this point that there really is no way around. They have two star players who just don't work for whatever reason, whether it be a personality fit or a basketball fit. You can say whatever you want about those two. One of them has allowed it to be known that he's unsettled and unnerved and wondering what it means for the franchise's future. And the other one is Rudy Gobert. So, say you, you and this is what they should do. Say you're on the team that Donovan Mitchell is the guy that you should keep. Just from a basketball perspective, makes the most sense for me. He's young, and Rudy Gobert is still a pretty good asset if you want to trade him. Okay, then you trade Rudy Gobert. What happens if Donovan Mitchell still doesn't want to be there? I mean, he lives in Utah. Like, how how much longer is Donovan Mitchell going to want to live in Utah? So you trade Gobert, now in the future, you might still have to trade Donovan Mitchell. Now you lose both of them for nothing. You're restarting from the ground up. The other option is Donovan Mitchell asks out. I think that's the only way they're going to trade Donovan Mitchell at this point, publicly or privately. You can do things privately as well. Now you can keep Rudy Gobert, and you can try and build a team around Rudy Gobert and the assets that you get for Donovan Mitchell. And I think that's the complicated position the Jazz are in because if they trade Gobert now, they might just be, you know, delaying the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they trade Donovan Mitchell now, at least they still keep a defensive player of the year caliber player in Rudy Gobert.
2: Who by all accounts wants to be there, by the way. I mean, yeah. and Rudy, Rudy is absolutely... Um, I guess there's a certain, uh, I'm trying to decide if I want to deal in stereotypes here or not. There's a certain <laughs> stereotype about European basketball players, I think, at this point. This generation of European basketball players, um, where we haven't seen an exception yet, to be fair, that they they are fairly loyal. You know, a lot of guys coming abroad are just happy to play in the NBA. They don't necessarily see the difference between a Salt Lake City and a right. Denver and a Cause Milwaukee. Because
1: he's going to live in France later anyway right at some point he's leaving regardless of where he plays
2: (laughs) to an american player like you know i am i realize i am generalizing here but like if you look around the league luca and Giannis and Jokic and gobert like you see a trend with with all of the european stars in this league right now where it's like the dirk obviously being the classical example hakeem before him these guys don't give a shit if they you know can't go play necessarily um, in Miami or New York or LA it it just seems to matter less to them so you know from all accounts Rudy seems happy in in Salt Lake City and you're not going to have that issue that you were speaking about like you potentially could with Donovan where you trade one guy and then six months later the other guy says actually I, I want out too that's mm-hmm. not going to happen with Rudy
1: mm-hmm. yeah that and so what what does that mean well how do the Suns trade for Donovan Mitchell that's the question that immediately came to my mind and look I say this often, long-time listeners know I've been trying to do this for a while. I've been trying to figure out a way to pair Donovan Mitchell with Devin
2: Booker. You've never just, really put it out there in the open, though.
1: I think I have in, in a, like. I guess the way that I often say it is I don't hate Donovan Mitchell. I just dislike Jazz fans, and if Donovan Mitchell ever asks for a trade, I would trade for him in a heartbeat. I, I guess yeah. more often I've probably just messaged it to you and DMs that we need to find a way to trade for Mitchell at some point when he decides he doesn't want to live in Utah anymore, which I think is rapidly approaching. And look, obviously DeAndre Ayton and Rudy Gobert. Look, maybe DeAndre Ayton wants to be a power forward, (laughs) but I don't think the Utah Jazz want that. But by the way, what a fascinating team that would be. So I guess would you, it's a complicated thing. You're trading for Donovan Mitchell. You solve so many problems. You add someone who can dribble. <laughs> you add somebody who can shoot. You have the future replacement for Chris Paul if Chris Paul, uh, well, once Chris Paul is gone, you have that future. But also, you have just a, a team built around like three guys who are kind of point guards. <laughs> and that doesn't quite make sense. So I know this is just a th- thought exercise, but. Have you considered the prospect of trading for Donovan Mitchell? And then I want to get to something else after that,
2: but Yeah, of course. The the look, the biggest thing the Suns need and we're going to talk about the Suns' overall needs in the offseason later in this episode, right? But, you know, w- the thing we've been hammering home forever, for forever, um is this idea of self-creation, is this idea of increased uh or more play initiators, just guys who can dribble the ball and make plays. It's, you know, it's not a hard concept. Donovan Mitchell no matter how you feel about them, you know, I, t- t- to be totally honest with you, I have tried to stay out of the debates of Mitchell versus Booker over the years. I always thought that I, I understand Suns fans want to go to war with Jazz fans and whatever. It's a thing between the two cities <laughs> um, and the two fan bases. And I understand the reasons behind that as well. But it's just like the comparing the players has always felt kind of lame to me. Mm-hmm. To be clear, Donovan has his weaknesses. We know he's not a great defensive player. We mm-hmm. know that he has struggled recently uh, in recent seasons with the Jazz and the clutch in the playoffs, stuff like that. He's still a sensational player. He's still a top twenty player in the league, and he's still one of those guys where if you have an opportunity to get a guy like that, I don't give a damn what position it's at. You go and get a guy like that, and you know, just look at the the Golden State Warriors. In the NBA finals right now, where you could argue about who their actual top three players are, but at least their top three scorers, the guys who put the bucket, uh the the ball on the bucket the most are guards. It's Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Jordan Poole. So I don't necessarily believe that you can't build a team around a concept where Chris Paul, mm-hmm. Devin Booker, and Donovan Mitchell are the three guys who are scoring the most on the roster. Yeah. I think that's uh it's it's totally plausible. You right. just need you just need talent. And so no, I think I would absolutely consider acquiring him. Actually doing it is the much more difficult <laughs> part. But, uh, you know, just to say that I think anyone who would turn their nose up at a right, talent right, right. like that is crazy. Uh, just on he, the basis of position. It's it's the NBA in 2022. Right. We don't think about position like that anymore.
1: Defense would be a fascinating thing for that team. And maybe you can get away with Chris Paul like playing the first four minutes of the game and then coming out and really just playing two guards at a time for the majority of the rest of the game uh but uh he'd be the best pull-up three-point shooter the Suns have had basically since Steve Nash like it would go back that far as far as solving that specific problem that the Suns have had in the past so the way that it would have to happen and for the record this is any team that has a center already and the Suns want to trade for a player is a three-team trade that would be the really the only way to do it Donovan Mitchell makes about thirty point three million dollars next year. You can get to that thirty point three million dollars with like Aiton Saric, and something like one other smaller contract can essentially get you there when trading Aiton. And look, if well, they're people
2: trading, will both- say, mm-hmm. I, I just want to quickly say, people will say, well, you could get that to that thirty million figure with Mikhail and Landry too, but th- no one's going to take that, you know. So it's like, right. Why, are you, you know, we're we're operating under the assumption that Aiton has to go in this trade purely to fit into the value Salary. equation it has to be yeah. a sign and trade you know
1: yeah, yeah. and you know even like if we're being 100% honest which we're just having fun here but if we're being 100% honest <laughs> they would probably need someone like Cameron Johnson as well to make it worthwhile another young player in order to get an all-star player like Donovan Mitchell Uh but here's here's a trade when we were talking about this in DMs this was just an example of a trade proposed by our friend David. He said eight, and this is just the the framework of one. More things would have to be involved in order to make it work. But he said eight to Detroit, Donovan Mitchell to Phoenix, Jeremy Grant, who the Utah Jazz have loved for a long time, to Utah, along with a a, a bevy of picks uh, <laughs> in order to make that worthwhile. Would any of these teams do this? I don't know. No, probably not. To be honest, the Suns would. Why really Detroit? If it's the
2: Suns. Detroit really seems to want Aiton. I mean, they, they seem to be right in the heart of the Aiton sweepstakes. So I definitely believe that that side, and Jeremy Grant's been in trade rumors forever, so I totally believe that that side is believable. Uh, Utah, with a Jeremy Grant, Rudy Gobert-led <laughs> offense. <laughs> it might, sounds hilarious. Might rank 30th in offense next year. Uh, I, I can't lie about that. So, you know, that, <laughs> it, that that part of the equation is difficult, man, but mm-hmm. maybe there's a package somewhere. Yeah. Maybe.
1: Yeah, I think if the Jazz are like really trying to get rid of Donovan Mitchell, they probably want to find some sort of home for Mike Conley just to get off his contract. And I think that would be the most difficult part of this equation unless unless OKC wants to take on another old overpaid player and revive his career and trade him to a contender once they fix him. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they'd be willing to do that again, though. Uh, Yeah, so there it is. We traded for Donovan Mitchell. Of course we had to do this. Of course we had to do this as soon as the news came out. Um, So yeah, that would be fun and it would be fascinating and I would be uh, in favor of that, of course. Let's see. Let's move on from that. We waited until Monday to record. And when we decided to wait until today to record, I thought, well, maybe something will come out. Some news will come out that we'll be able to talk about. And John Hollinger and The Athletic came through and wrote what is essentially now becoming just a weekly report on the status of the Suns and DeAndre Ayton. <sighs> D- different <laughs> different outlets are going to write about the Suns and DeAndre, in every week he's the big. Ba- I mean, like there's Zach Levine there's Zach Lavine, and then there's DeAndre Ayton, right? Yeah. And so those are the guys. That's that's who. Uh, The free agent pieces are going to be about every week from now until then, but this one I thought was particularly interesting in that the more and more that we hear about the situation, the more and more it seems like it is leading to a divorce because John Hollinger said that Aiton has likely played his last game in Phoenix, and there was more to that report which I'll get into in just a second, but... Sam, I know you woke up this morning and saw that report. What were your, <laughs> yes, what were your first did. thoughts on that?
2: My first thoughts were that I was surprised by this report and immediately started cooking up what ulterior motives could be. You know it's smokescreen smoke season as well, so mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. entire summer smoke smokescreen season as well as... There's actually a decent amount of smokescreen coverage throughout the year between the offseason <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and the trade deadline, so yeah. you always got to watch out for it. But um, I started thinking of ulterior motives, and and I guess my motivation for doing that was... We covered the broad spectrum of possibilities a couple of weeks ago on our episode, just like kind of introing the offseason to folks, right? Like we talked about every single possibility of what the Suns could do with DeAndre Ayton. And as we discussed all those opportunities, that was our, um, uh, our episode with David. I felt like we basically came to the conclusion that, yes, maybe there was a fractured relationship here. Maybe the Suns would like to pursue a sign and trade if they could get some semblance of fair value but in the majority of cases it kind of seemed like there was a high probability of being swindled in a sign and trade if you actually went that route once right, we right. explained what all the details were um and and it's just hard to believe that the sons would really walk away entirely from deandre Ayton and uh leave you know if you want to call this pursuing a divorce or, or whatever just walk away from the relationship Uh, getting no value out of it right like this entire time it always felt like James Jones even if he couldn't get the exact deal that he wanted this summer so okay they would just come to an agreement maybe they would even match an offer from another team if another team wanted to to have all of their cap space held hostage for a week like that Um, and then they would reevaluate in a year maybe even two years um, but that they weren't necessarily worried about DeAndre Ayton or at least this is my view that they wouldn't be necessarily worried about DeAndre Ayton going into training camp um, being super unhappy and just kind of ruining the vibe and um, destroying the environment for everyone was never like a huge concern of mine. So I don't know it it, it feels I guess I'm doing a poor job of sort of summarizing this report here and my ra- uh, my reactions to it but like overall it, it feels like a leap based on what we heard earlier because mm-hmm. up into this up until this entire time, I have always thought the actual most likely, possibility is that the Suns keep DeAndre Ayton not necessarily because they're in love with him as a player anymore but just because they want to get some semblance of fair value Mm -hmm. out of him Mm -hmm. Um, and to be honest where does that lead me to now I mean I you know I could send it back your way what was what was your initial reaction to the report
1: well uh, I would say that from the beginning I thought that his sign and trade was more likely, I think, than you. And I am feeling more and more like that by the day. I I think we're we're basically at the point where I would be more surprised if DeAndre Ayton was back than if he was gone. Uh, Just based on this, it's just there's when there's this much smoke, uh, you know, there's usually it's a a lot of smoke. Let me
2: throw something your way though, like because I I did sort of posit this question on Twitter. I was like, well, think about it from the Suns' perspective. You want to wash your hands of this this summer if you can. Right? Like it it it's clear like I have been saying it's a fractured relationship. They have more leverage than people think, so they're willing to keep him into the 22-23 season and reevaluate whenever. Um they don't they do not have to be forced to do anything. But you get the sense that they would like to wash their hands of this mm-hmm. this summer. Yeah. So it would behoove the Suns to put out a report like this. That says basically the implication being that it's more likely that DeAndre Ayton is not going to play in Phoenix. Well, everyone knows that Phoenix can match, so the implic uh, a a contract offer that is. So the implication there is there are teams lining up to actually trade yeah. for this guy, and it creates an artificial sense of urgency in the trade market. Where to be honest, the the example I used on Twitter was. Uh, Toronto, because we know Toronto wants a center, you know, rather than maybe your only offer right now on the table is Gary Trent and a second-round pick or some trash offer from you know <laughs> that obviously would upset every Suns fan on the planet right now. And maybe mm. you're trying to artificially inflate the market by saying, well, no, actually we have four, five, six suitors out there that are interested in pursuing a sign-and-trade. Therefore, it's likely that Aiton will not be with us um, next season because we think we're <laughs> we think we're not going to get swindled. We think we're going to get fair value. Do you think that is not possible that foul play is uh is going on here something like that?
1: I think it's more likely that DeAndre Ayton's agent is making it known that he doesn't want to be here any more than that. And let's and here's let's just break down where the Suns' leverage lies at this point. There are two types of teams that can now sign DeAndre Ayton. There are teams with cap space and there are teams without cap space. If a team with cap space comes to the DeAndre in, and says, here's what we're going to offer you. We'd like you to sign it. Give the Suns the opportunity to match it. Hopefully they don't match it. Well, if they really want DeAndre, Ayton, the Suns leverage lies in the fact that they're willing to keep him. So if Detroit or San Antonio comes to the Suns and say, and say they, they would like to sign him, if the Suns want a signing trade, their leverage lies in the fact that they're willing to keep him. That means they can go to Detroit and say, look, before you sign him to the offer sheet, just give us Jeremy Grant. You can have DeAndre in an assigning trade. We won't match him. We'll let him go. You can have your, your star free agent that you're signing. Same with uh, San Antonio, which we'll talk about in a second because they were mentioned in the article. They can do the same with San Antonio because of the threat of them wasting their cap space on signing DeAndre into a uh, 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 an offer sheet that ties it up for an extended period of time. And then on the other side of that, There are teams without cap space. And the entirety of that leverage lies in the fact that they just need the Suns to cooperate in order for them to even have the ability to sign him. So they have to make trades to do that. So from this perspective, I guess, looking at where the Suns leverage lies, I don't see how this type of report ultimately benefits them. And one of the reasons was this specific quote that's in the article. This was uh, Hollinger talking. He said, I think the questions every team is asking are some version of what don't we know? Why is Phoenix reluctant to pay him? Is it just Robert Sarver being Robert Sarver? Or is there something else going on here? I don't see a specific reason for his value to be down beyond the question every front office will ask regarding what turned the Suns off. Hollinger is asking
2: that. That's that's his quote. Yeah, you got Can I give my reaction to that? Sure. Have they watched the games?
1: <laughs> they don't watch all of them. I really do think with DeAndre and he's good and he's, he's great. a really good player, right? But so, it's obvious, <laughs> but you have to watch a lot of him to see the ebbs and and you know. Otherwise, you just see box scores every once in a while. You see he had a great game. You go and watch the highlights of that game. and You are like, man, DeAndre Ayton's putting it all together. There is just there is so much more nuance to to DeAndre Ayton and his game and what could be possibly frustrating the Suns coaching staff than. Just checking in with the Suns like once a week, like uh, these writers often do, because how else, you know, the athletic doesn't have a Suns person once they <laughs> fired Gina. Uh, so, you know, this is this is what we get. This is what we get. So I think you're right about that. But I guess my point is the implication that the Suns maybe don't want DeAndre and hurts their leverage when dealing with a team like Detroit or San Antonio.
2: You know, are we really at a point because because up until now, I I hear what you're saying. We've always operated under the assumption, though, that like in the first example you gave teams with cap space. They would we've always operated under the assumption that if your best offer is just taking Jeremy Grant, you're going to match. You'd be stupid not to match a four year one hundred thirty million dollar contract or whatever that whatever that exact offer is. Yeah. Um, Are we now just assuming based on this report that actually they wouldn't even match that?
1: That's that's basically where I'm at at this point. Mm, I, I, that's crazy. I like I said I think I would be more surprised if he was back on a max contract than he's not. It's not to say that the Suns wouldn't do it because if the Suns are getting fleeced, which was part of this article, if the Suns are getting fleeced on any offers, then yeah, they'll just take him back. It's the, wild to me. The risk you run taking him back is huge though. What if he plays badly? Like he could literally just lose all of his motivation being somewhere that he doesn't want to be, which tanks his trade value anyway, then maybe you get less the Jeremy Grant. Maybe you have to attach a pick to DeAndre Hayton because he's
2: unmotivated at that point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it it really comes down to sort of analyzing the headspace of this guy who we only can speculate on and we don't know personally. So I'm hesitant to, to do it any more than than we kind of have in the past. But it's yeah. like, you know, where do DeAndre Ayton's future motivations? He's always said he wanted to get to the second contract. Where do his future motivations beyond that lie? Is it the third contract? And <laughs> like, I think you, you know, <laughs>
1: you're like not your reaction, but people's reaction to this. I think will reveal how confident they are that the Suns understand that. Because mm-hmm. as much as we don't know DeAndre Ayton and what what's going on inside his head, you know James Jones, Monty Williams, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, they're a lot closer to that. And they likely do understand that. And that's I think why I I guess that's why I'm we started off once we went through all the options, once we really looked into it, you and I, and then once we added David in there as as well for our podcast, I believed that the most likely ending of this saga would be that DeAndre Ayton would be back on something. Max or near Max or whatever. I'm further I'm I've getting further and further away from that just based on uh, the reports that we've heard. And we'll get more into it later. But this article also touched on a, a couple of other things. We really haven't gotten into Jeremy Grant as an option on this podcast. And I'll just, just just say my initial reaction, I don't really like the idea of Jeremy Grant on the Suns for a few reasons. But what do you think of the idea of Jeremy Grant? And just outside of even DeAndre and sign signing trades, just Jeremy Grant in general as a fit, For the
2: Suns, yeah, I feel like I can wrap it up in two words. Uh, He's fine. Um, You know, we know who Jeremy Grant is as a player. Supposedly, this article, by the way, um, I saw this from Kellen because I didn't, I didn't actually see the article myself. I want to make that clear. But um, that uh, supposedly the article mentioned that Jeremy Grant. Remember a big reason he chose Detroit over Denver in the Mm -hmm. first place for the past two seasons was because he wanted a bigger role and I saw that in that article it says that actually that's no longer a factor for him. He's willing to scale back to a smaller role now. Um, If it means that he can win some games again I suppose is the implication there because uh, I guess winning a total of 30 games uh, between two seasons maybe taught him a lesson about that. I don't know. but, yeah, I mean, we know who he is as a player. He can certainly put the ball on the floor better than, say, a Cameron Johnson or a Jay Crowder. He's no doubt to me an update, uh, an upgrade at those positions. He's not a significant upgrade. You know, I kind of factored him in in the same tier as, like, when I thought about Harrison Barnes um, at the trade deadline as, like, an easy salary matching option that you could go out and get. Not necessarily my thinking wasn't at the time that you would have to trade Aiton at all. But that it was a type of guy where it's like, okay, here's here's Jay Crowder and Dario Saric and a pick. Give us a player like that, you know, something like that was more along the lines of what I was thinking. He's he's definitely a solid player. Um, he can't be your premier acquisition uh, for uh, for the off season uh, and then roll into the season being like, okay, we've got it. This <laughs> this is our squad now. He's not that guy.
1: But yeah, just for the record, Hollander said, I think Grant has actually become fairly overrated. But if he's willing to be the fourth option, on an not oh, know. He team, said he if. fit nicely.
2: Yeah. Well, that's so, different because yeah, that if that, is that, different. Exactly. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly
1: what affects how I view it as well. One, he's not a great three-point shooter just from a catch-and-shoot perspective. No. Which, you know, if you find guys often that are really great at creating for themselves, which he's sort of in the middle of good to great, um, sometimes they're not great catch-and-shoot. They want to do other things with the ball but he's a great defender and he has the ability he's really like kind of the perfect role player that refuses to be one and I think that's really really kind of tough when trading for a guy like Jeremy Grant he wants to be a star like there's a good chance that Jeremy Grant thinks he's better than Devin Booker and that means he deserves I, more than Devin Booker
2: I don't know where are you getting that from I'm that's, not sure we've he, ever seen that
1: he thinks he could be the best player on a great team
2: right I, that, that's who he that's thought. what he wants to be he thought that two years ago. I don't, uh, to be honest, man, I feel like we haven't seen enough of Jeremy Grant over the past two years. I mean, I've watched him play, but it's like, mm-hmm. I haven't analyzed his media interviews over the past two years enough to know if he still feels that way. Because it's it's a leap to say that he still feels that way after the Detroit Pistons have been as bad uh, as they were for the past I'd two be, years.
1: I'd be, Jeremy Grant does not seem like a James Jones player to me, personally. Yeah,
2: I, no, no I, I, I feel that.
1: I do feel that. And I'd be surprised if the Suns were willing to do that. I think if, if Detroit wants if Detroit wants DeAndre and I think there's going to be a and they're going to an assign trades involved. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a third team involved somewhere in there. And the Suns got somebody else back, which we could find options for later. The other things they mentioned is a, a team that keeps coming up is Portland, which once again have no trade assets. They can create some cap space, but not a ton. And it's an interesting team for that to be brought up as well. Maybe they'd have to give up somebody better than we'd expect. Or, you know, the Suns would have to be really interested in a double sign and trade of Nurkic, Which I don't really think is, you know, I don't know. Unless they can find something else, that's really a bad return for DeAndre Ayton. San Antonio was also brought up in the option for San Antonio, the most interesting thing. It was just an idea from Hollinger. It was Jakob Pirtle and Keldon Johnson for DeAndre Ayton. And this, I think, is the most down-to-earth and realistic option that they showed that I think the Suns might actually be willing to accept at this point. And I once again will say that Jakob Purtle is a good player. <laughs> Keldon Johnson is fine. I think people really don't have any idea of how good Jakob Pertl is because nobody watches the Spurs. Is he an upgrade on DeAndre Ayton? No. No. I mean, DeAndre Ayton has physical capabilities well beyond what Jakob Purtle is capable of doing. Jakob Purtle is extremely smart, a good passer, and and like one of the best screeners in the NBA. So he would be a good player. Keldon Johnson is just fine. He's kind of a player that has yet to really work out in the NBA, and nothing. super know about exciting just, about
2: him. I don't know about just fine. That's he's that young. He has an upside,
1: which the Suns don't have a lot of outside of their main core pieces.
2: Yeah, I mean, Keldon Johnson is a third-year player who just averaged seventeen points, six rebounds, and uh, and two assists per game. Granted, you know, a lot of guys got up shots on the Spurs this year because that's yeah. kind of how their offense has been operating. But I, I, I agree with you that I don't see like super, super high upside. Like, I don't think he's a, a future all NBA player. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: But I think he's definitely an upgrade over Jake Crowder. And I think he's probably oh. an upgrade over. Yeah. No, I, I think he is. And I think he's probably <laughs> an upgrade. I think he's probably an upgrade over Cam Johnson, too. I, just wow. in terms of trying to get the types of things that this team specifically needs, which is creation. Keldon Johnson has a little bit more juice there that guys mm. on this current roster do not have. Maybe um, I, need to look Pertl. K- I appreciate Jaco your Pertl, perspective the there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, it's
1: the, yeah. I mean, that's it's just different how I feel. than mine. I, so I'm gonna have to look into how I feel about Keldon Johnson a little more. I
2: need to look. I need to look into it more too. For the record, it's not like like this proposal I just saw come up today, and so these are my basically my instant reactions. But um, Jakapertel, I think yeah, I I feel like I'm with you. He's an above average starting center. He's not amazing, but he's, he's above average at this point.
1: There are extremely smart people that I converse with that are really high on Jakob Purtle to an extent where I had to ask them again, wait, is he actually good? <laughs> you know, cause I don't watch enough. I, I truthfully don't, but the people I trust often talk about just how good he is. And the, a lot of the advanced numbers are really high on Jakob Purtle. The, I mentioned this to you guys. I don't know if I mentioned this on a podcast yet, but the b-ball index came out with like a screener grade for the first time ever grade screeners in the nba Jakob Pertl was the best screener in the nba by their metric which is just a surprise to me and it's kind of fascinating considering he plays with a lot of players that struggle to create off screens it'd be interesting to see him on a team with guys who can and see how that affects somebody like chris paul or devin booker uh so yeah it's a fascinating one if you want to say these are all bad options for deandre ayton I wouldn't fight you on that. (laughs) I wouldn't really fight you on that. But let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we got some more stuff to talk about. We'll be right back.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, Sam, you had something you wanted to talk about on this episode, and I'm I'm pretty excited, I'll be honest, to hear your perspective on this topic here,
2: so go you're ahead and really, introduce it. Well, you're really overselling it now, because <laughs> it's, it's not going to be anything crazy like that. This is just right. a little, little few-minute bridge segment, but I, I, I guess I wanted to start with, there were some interesting tweets this week. For those of our listeners who are not on Twitter, I'm sorry, you probably don't find Analysis of tweets all that interesting, but maybe you find it interesting to at least analyze what the actual players on the Phoenix Suns are saying and the primary mode of communication that they use for that (laughs) is Twitter. So we're going to analyze a couple of tweets that came out this week uh, because I think they're interesting and, and, and just how we got here. Did you? I, I guess we didn't talk about this before the episode, but Mike, mm-hmm. did you listen to the uh, to Michael Bridges on the JJ Redick podcast talking about what happened in Game Seven? I uh, have yet to maps? hear.
1: I have yet to hear the full segment. I have seen a few of the YouTube segments that they put on YouTube, yeah. but uh, yeah, he did seem to. Bridges has been. Bridges is
2: the most active Suns player on Twitter, right? Oh, absolutely! Uh, yeah. It's it's not even close. Um, but but there's specifically something that happened this week, and, and, and it was Mikhail going on that podcast that brought up this idea for me where I wanted to ask you a couple questions about it because. Well, I, I guess I guess I'll just go into what the tweets were first. So Devin Booker, June 4th, it's June 6th as we record this. So that was quick math Saturday night at uh Three fifty-four arizona time i suppose because i have to do a quick conversion here um he tweeted negativity at an all-time high y'all i question mark uh jay crowder half an hour later only half an hour later also tweeted something that i found kind of interesting he said they love you hate you and love you all over again mm-hmm. and then the emoji with the face palm mm-hmm. and then the recycle symbol um, or I suppose the the sort of circular cycle symbol mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, uh, I don't know, making a statement there on things that are passed <laughs> around from generation to generation as mm-hmm. Jay Crowder. But they tweeted these two things out within only half an hour of each other. To me, it implied that the, behind the scenes, the sons were something was really bothering them. Like mm-hmm. this, this felt like the sort of thing that they were talking about maybe in a group chat. And a couple of them decided, a couple of them who are not Michael Bridges, who are not, you know, openly going to Twitter all <laughs> the time. It might be Michael
1: Bridges in there too, right?
2: De- I mean, Devin Booker uses his Twitter. Jay Crowder uses his Twitter. But it felt like some- they just really had to get the word out there about something. And Devin Booker, ki- I just thought it was interesting that here we are, three weeks removed from the most embarrassing loss in franchise history. And Devin Booker is trying to pull back a little bit on the negativity and he's obviously trying to enjoy his offseason to an extent um, and move on. Um, Jay Crowder making a statement here. They love you, hate you, love you all over again. That feels directed at the fans. No confirmation that it's directed at the fans. Just it's, feels yeah. like it's directed at the fans. Yeah. It as feels was, like one
1: of those things where he could say it wasn't about the
2: fans if he was ever asked about it. As I <laughs> was watching... Mikael Bridges on JJ's pod. I want to give him credit, first of all, to the fact he became a correspondent for JJ's pod recently, which means he does these more regular segments now. And you knew this was going to come up eventually on one of the episodes where he appeared. So I want to give him credit that he was there in the first place. He was a team sport about it. He was willing to talk about it. I was a little unsettled by the fact that as he was there and he was forced to, to react to like this question of what happened as he was recounting the events of that night like he even still kind of felt shell shocked like he almost didn't understand he was still flabbergasted in, in in trying to explain exactly what happened there on that night coupled with these tweets from these guys coming out do you personally feel like the team has taken enough accountability for what went down how the season ended okay, do you have any sort of do you have any sort of issue with the way that players just want to seem to move on because Hmm. to be honest my instant reaction to this sort of stuff it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit but yeah but I could be I could be walked back yeah based on what your reaction is I just I'm kind of curious about it
1: is there anything that bridges could have said that would have satisfied the fans that are the most angry about that game
2: Is that a rhetorical question or is that a real question? No, I mean,
1: like, do you, can you think of anything? No. Yeah, there's nothing. I really think
2: there's nothing. People, people just want to be angry. Yeah, And I understand And he was the
1: first person to talk about it. Therefore, he took the brunt of it. Two things that Bridges has said since then. Somebody said he should go to Philly. He said, I love it here. Sorry. He responded. Yeah, he did say that. And then today he said, I tell the whole truth from A to Z. Which, by the way, oftentimes NBA players will tweet something that is a reference to a a hip-hop song that I don't know about. So if I'm missing the obvious reference in some of these, that's just who I am. I mostly listen to Benz. But I do think that Bridges, in some sense, was like the sacrificial lamb in being the first player to publicly speak on the record post-playoff disaster yeah people kind of went on him a lot went at him a lot i i i i want to just reference jay crowder as well i think jay crowder has taken a ton of heat from let let me just ask you this has going on twitter been fun for you as someone who is a prominent (laughs) phoenix suns member since they lost in game seven
2: i mean it hasn't been too bad for me to be honest have gone insane sam (laughs) I mean, you know, you could argue I'm one of them, but you know, imagine
1: what the players are seeing. Just no, and I understand that, and I understand that. I'm sure, I'm
2: sure the players. I'm sure the player. uh, To be clear, I'm sure the players are seeing a lot of harassment that's not okay. That that crosses a line and is disgusting. And and I've seen that side of it too. But I've only seen a fraction. The players get it all the time. Um, but I'm kind of not talking about that though. I'm I'm kind of talking about just at the base level, like I understand. That you got to move on. But I kind of feel like the messaging from a lot of the team, not just the players, but, yeah. but kind of from the entire organization, since you dropped the ball like that, has just been kind of whack, man. I don't know. It's it's yeah. It, it kind of feels like we can't... Like, I, I don't blame anyone for still being angry at this stage in our are, season. I, think, I don't blame anyone for, for having not fully processed the grief. And it hurts even more when you feel like these guys, maybe maybe they don't actually care.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, and to be fair, I've, I'm just not as overly emotional in general, so maybe it's a little different for me. But uh, my reaction to the negativity at an all-time high <laughs> tweet by Devin Booker was less so uh, one of, like, I don't know, anger, embarrassment. I don't know how Suns fans react to that. It was more so, like, trying to think, why would a player – be less negative at this point of the off season than the fans are because the players often know more than the fans do. And there's a couple of reasons, right? They maybe fully understand the extent to, of the injuries that the players were dealing with that we don't fully understand or other things which have been floated out there that could have been going on during game six, game seven, whatever it was, or the level of dysfunction that made it a little harder to win during that game seven. And if they understand that that potential dysfunction could be coming to an end, maybe it's easier to be a little more positive from their perspective than it would be from ours. Maybe they know a player's coming, something like that. That was my first reaction. Or maybe there's a possibility. Maybe they're happy a player's leaving. <laughs> I'm not going to say oh, this for man, sure. Oh man, come on. I'm not joking though. I'm not joking. If DeAndre Ayton was incredibly unhappy With his role in Phoenix at the end there. To an extent that we do not understand. To a point where it was bothering the locker room. Which, for the record, if you want to put it on DeAndre Ayton, fine. If you want to put it on Monty Williams, fine. If you want to put it on James Jones, fine. If you want to put it on Devin Booker or Chris Paul, that's probably where I'll start to disagree with you dramatically. Any any other place you can feel free to put it at. But there could have been dramatic dysfunction... That now could be coming to an end that we don't we're not fully aware of because once again um, I don't think it benefits the Suns to allow that stuff into the light.
2: I'm gonna offer up a third explanation which I think is simpler. These guys get paid. See <laughs> that's true. They get paid regardless, and yep. you know what? I can't say I honestly blame them. You know, mm-hmm. just just because again, this is where I'm talking about. Like, yes, I'm a fan. Yes, I have fanatic. Feelings sometimes, but I try very hard to distance myself from you know the crazy people on Twitter who just like harass people. Obviously, that's not okay. And obviously, these players, whether they make one million dollars or, or, or thirty five, they're human beings with emotions. It's a little bit easier for them to process uh, a tragedy, if you call it that, uh, like the way this season went down knowing that they're getting paid regardless and it is a job for them at the end of the day and you know i do i guess i just come back to that and i wonder if that's maybe maybe that's all there is behind this and that's why it's so easy to explain away is it's just you know it's not the job for fans we're just we are just crazy people by design (laughs) who watch this product and will yell about things into the void for the next four months regardless of what the outcome was um whereas if you're a player it's a little bit easier to move on
1: speaking of getting paid Devin Booker today said I don't do deals I do shit I like I'm not sure what that means (laughs) maybe it's reference to something he's working on behind the scene a deal a Nike deal perhaps or a deal with another sponsor perhaps that that's what he's talking about or maybe he didn't like the way somebody perceived one of the deals that he does have by the way something else that happened on Twitter that I was like all right cut it out Uh, was Eddie Johnson fighting with Kevin Durant. (laughs) He wasn't
2: fighting. He was baiting him.
1: (laughs) He baited Kevin Durant. Look, I found found myself hoping that EJ would get hacked and start selling PS5s again. I'm like, don't ruin this. Don't ruin this for us, EJ. We're trying to get Kevin Durant to want to come to Phoenix. Now is not the time to start your serious
2: radio battles. With Kevin Durant, he even he was just you know, he was he was walking the line sort of where he was like, hey, I'm a former player too yada yada. But also like uh, he was protecting the media members a, a bit, I guess. I guess he identifies with both groups. Right. So he mm-hmm. felt the need to insert himself in the middle and defend both groups. And yeah, he went back and forth with Katie a little bit, but it wasn't heated. I thought the funniest part was when he complimented Katie. He was like, "If you didn't get injured, you would have been MVP." And Katie was like, "Your compliments don't move me or something." I forget. <laughs> I forget exactly what he said, but it was, I was just like, "Okay, that's kind of uh, hilarious." Yeah. Yeah. So not he now, tried. EJ. Not he now. Tried.
1: Save it. You know, EJ wouldn't be doing that if if Kevin Durant was on the Suns, for example. It would be a whole different story. He would be backing him 100. percent So uh, that was funny. I want to just briefly touch on something that is going to be a bigger conversation than the last 15 minutes of this podcast, but it's just something I wanted to just start talking about because you and I have focused on the bigger picture stuff so far in the off season, which I think is very important, whether it be DeAndre Ayton or Cameron Johnson, the end part of the end uh, equation there. But what I wanted to briefly touch on and just open up this side of the conversation for us to be able to. Uh, go into this in future episodes is just the concept of what the biggest offseason needs are for the Suns going forward because yes I think it's dribbling I will say that over and over again shot creation dribbling another guy who can dribble as the number one need and I, I think you agree with that right it's like star power yeah. right yeah, I mean housed.
2: Not, not even close it's it's that
1: it's it's Donovan Mitchell it's Kevin Durant right <laughs> it's those guys yeah. that if they become well, available push all your chips into the center of the table
2: yeah I mean I think the most interesting thing about just that aspect of the equation because it's just it's the biggest part of it we can't we can't duck it is that its positionless though like as we explained at the beginning of this episode it could be Donovan Mitchell and it could be a third guard in my view it could be mm-hmm. another center. Who plays out of the short roll and breaks plays down. Mm-hmm. Um, it could it would be great if it was a wing, obviously, because I think that would be the most natural fit into just what the roster looks like. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a wing. So I think the biggest things are it has to be a shot creator who provide who can playmake a little bit, can be a tertiary playmaker, doesn't need to be a five, six, seven assists per game guy in my view, just needs to be able to move the ball around a little bit and put pressure on the rim is a big thing for me. Right. Um if I had the choice between a guy who is just a shooter, but like a, a quasi star, versus a guy who who really slashes, gets to the rim, I'm gonna prioritize the latter in this offseason, and maybe that's just my outlook on things and other people can disagree, but rim pressure is is huge for me this summer when we talk about star power specifically. The Suns finished twenty seventh per game this season, uh in in sorry, they, they finished twenty seventh in free throw attempts per game this season, and that's just it's unacceptable at this point. I think we've seen two playoffs in a row that you would really, really benefit from just forcing the issue a little bit and developing a bread and butter offense. That yes, you want shot creation in general, but you really want a guy who can just make life easier for you in the playoffs. And um, part of that is getting to the free throw line. So that's that's yeah. a huge thing for me.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with that. It sounds like you're
2: describing Julius Randle, right? Um, I you know what? Actually, <laughs> how many free throws Julius Randle? For Six, the record, right? I think. He averages more he averages substantially more than Aton but he's not like he's not the first name that came to mind no, with that the, we've talked about Julius Randle in the past I, anyway so. the reason
1: I brought up Julius Randle we have yet to talk about him really on the podcast um, I, uh, I it was a reminder of what the off season was to me when I saw that my response to you about Julius Randle was screenshot and then posted out of context on Reddit as like the Julius Randall idea being my idea. <laughs> yeah, and I people, saw that I saw that too, actually. People, taking aim, people <laughs> taking aim at that completely out of context, which I thought was funny. But here's the truth about Julius Randall. I'm not really on board with the Julius Randall idea. I think you and I were kind of having fun that day. But
2: I do think that... I could be. I could get behind it, but yeah. I going.
1: do think that bringing up the idea of Julius Randall is just to illustrate i think the extent to which the suns have a shot creation problem that even somebody like julius Randle <laughs> would be an upgrade on their third shot creator on the yeah. suns and 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 it would i think benefit the suns in the postseason now i'll say this there's a chance that the julius Randle team that I, I made up on twitter which was chris paul devin booker mikhail bridges julius Randle. Miles Turner, right? This was just a thrown out idea. Would win less games in the regular season. I think it's probably likely that they would because the pieces don't fit exactly perfectly the way this current Suns team did. But the way the Suns ran out of offense in the playoffs, I don't think would happen in the same way because they had just have more players that well, are there capable you go. of playing at a high offensive Step level. Step
2: one. Acquire Julius Randle step two championship. We've we've cracked we've cracked the code.
1: Yeah. I mean like the truth of Julius Randle is he's way, 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 way down on the list of guys that I would like to have on the Suns as far as yeah. fixing the problem. But it's just I think it was a good Example to illustrate, I think the the issue with shot creation that the Suns are facing, and that's number one. But then I want to talk about what happens after that. You talk about rim pressure. That was one of the ones I had as well. Sure. But I think you're right that the ideal situation is those two are one. I mean, it would be cool.
2: (laughs) It would be cool if we could get like a sixth man who puts a ton of pressure on the rim. It's just a lot harder to find, and especially if we're going to talk one of these weeks. uh, uh, as as June winds down, about like who the Suns could get for their taxpayer mid level exception and right. free agency or whatever, it's like it's kind of unrealistic to think that you could get a guy who gives you five six free throws per game off the mm-hmm. bench doing that. So you no, know, it probably needs to come from some sort of borderline star player.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with that, and uh, yeah, I think the six man thing is is a fascinating one because I think that is the other need that the Suns have at this point. They they I, like the idea that they can once again rely on Cameron Payne, my confidence in that has been eroded pretty dramatically. Entirely shaken. I would say too. And I think you can even think about it this way, that there were points of Cameron Payne's tenure with the Suns so far that started in the bubble where we have breached the subject of him starting for Chris Paul after Chris Paul is gone. Now, if your confidence in Cameron Payne has eroded, then... That leaves two holes. One, the six-man. Who's handling the offense when the the other guys are off the floor, or at least one of them's off the floor? And two, who can be that future guy for Chris Paul? Because right now is when you should start looking for that, and that means maybe potentially taking a risk like they did with Cameron Payne and finding a guy who maybe didn't work out that well. Uh, n- names that we could come up with in the future, but the idea of a future point guard for the Suns, somebody who could potentially start games for the Suns this year, I think it's still a massive question mark for the Suns, and I think they're going to have to find a way to address that this offseason. I don't think they should wait on that because
2: it's going to be a problem if they wait on that. Do you agree with that? As I was listening to you speak, I was just hit with this immense feeling of sadness knowing that the Halliburton whiff is going to stick with this franchise for a long time, <laughs> man. That would have been, I know I'm beating a dead horse there, but holy shit. <laughs> like as, when you really lay it out like that, botch that one um yeah they yeah it's gonna be tough I, I i mean i don't really know if you can go into this off season thinking that you're gonna get a chris paul replacement um you can't really replace what chris paul does at the point guard position which is why for me i'm trying to focus as little as possible honestly on on replacing chris paul specifically because maybe we've talked about in the past i know things didn't end great i know people are in their feelings about chris paul right now i understand all of that too but he could maybe be the John Stockton figure who plays until he's 40 years old and continues to give you 10 and 10 in 26 minutes per game. I would not rule out that possibility for Chris Paul to be yeah, able to do that. He's at the, more like at,
1: Jason Kidd on the Mavericks. is the Right, at the point guard position.
2: Which means the issue isn't so much replacing Chris Paul in the immediate future, but again, it's, it's a question of star power. It's, you know, let Chris Paul be the third or fourth option in the offense while someone else takes the reins. And that person just needs to be playing in a different position. But yes... Um, to address the the overall point, need a campaign slash Landry Shamit replacement. Someone who can just reliably come in, be the third guard, um, give you a little bit of combo guard scoring and playmaking. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge because uh, have I have you, no, no confidence in campaign right now.
1: Have you even approached the subject of replacing DeAndre and if he gets traded for a non-center? Because there is a, there is a possibility, there's a scenario for the Suns where oh. DeAndre Ayton leaves in a signing trade for a wing or for something else, a guard or whatever. Right, for sure. And now the Suns have
2: a hole at starting center. Yeah, it's yeah. That no, that's a great point. That's the other thing that I had written down here. Um, I think it would actually it it's going to come down to how you feel about your philosophy and, and team building because I think we're going to get to this in a future episode. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal all my names right now. If you look at the free agent pool, what I will say is there are like as many as maybe six to eight guys, six to eight names that I saw that you could trick yourself into thinking that, well, that's a starting center. It wouldn't be a good starting center. <laughs> it absolutely would not be a good starting center, but there are names who are better than JaVale McGee and Bismack Biambo. And I I do believe, by the way, even JaVale McGee and Bismack Biyombo mm-hmm. could eat up minutes in the regular season at least and they'd be fine. But there are names, and like, again, to use the Golden State Warriors example right now, if you believe firmly in the strength of the rest of your roster, maybe you can win a championship with Kevon Looney starting at center. You know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. So, by the way, Kevon Looney is a free agent this uh, this summer. Yep. So there's, there's him and there's a lot of other names who it's like, you would have the 25th best starting center in the NBA. Maybe you could get away with that. Otherwise, you're going to have to look at the trade market, obviously, um, in terms of, like, you know, then yep. it comes back yep. to the sign and trade options and stuff like that.
1: Sign and trade options, Jake. Another, Carter, guy, you know, Dario another Sharic, guy that we picks. Yep.
2: Another guy that we very briefly talked about, Dario Sharic. Can he come yeah. back and be a starting center? I would you want to uh, do that, I think is a question. I am gonna be honest, I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, uh, neither am I. I. I don't it, think that would be good, but hey, it's an option. I like
1: Dario Sharic as a backup center. I still think that's a good position for him to play, but just imagining him trying to guard and bead or Jokic, you know, on, 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 even like Anthony Davis, if you get matched up against Anthony Davis, that's kind of a disaster. So I think I, you need I really think
2: uh, our friend Zona, who's been on the pod before, said it best. I saw he tweeted out today that no matter how you feel about DeAndre and the player, no matter how you feel about the proposition of giving him a max or not, if he leaves, if this Hollinger report is true, there are things that Suns fans took for granted yes. about his game which will be instantly clear, no matter who you replace him with at the center position, but especially if you try and replace him with Dario Saric, JaVale McGee, Kevon Looney, who be it? There are things that would be very obvious mm-hmm. from game one of like, oh shit, <laughs> we don't have, yes, we don't have, fascinating. we right. don't have the guy. The traditional
1: who can, big man role that he doesn't like. Those are the yeah. things that the Suns would be missing. Yeah, Truthfully, we
2: don't we don't have the sixty percent hook shot anymore. We don't right. have the guy who can who can hang with Jokic or Embiid for thirty five minutes and not yeah. get in foul trouble. None like of that. All of that's off the table. Falling over, right? Yep. There would be there would be a lot missing, and so it's not so much that you can like if they go this route, you can't replace DeAndre Ayton at center. You just can't. It needs to be a good enough acquisition at one of the wing positions. If you get KD. You know, for instance, then it doesn't really fucking matter, in my opinion, if you get Kavon Looney at center because you got right. KD. So it needs to be the the acquisition elsewhere needs to make up for the loss. And yeah, time will tell.
1: Yep, I think you're right about that. Is there any other specific need that you want to touch
2: on now before we end this one? Not especially. I mean, there's other holes you could, like minor holes. but We'll get into them un- later, yeah. I think yeah, those are the we'll bigger to- ones. Until we, we really take care of some of the big picture ideas and know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. and the dominoes start following. That's, that's the big thing. You know, yes. we can get to the ninth, 10th, 11th men later. We're,
1: we're about a month from when most people are listening to this on the day that a month from now will be the day the moratorium ends and players can be signed in free agency. By that time, we'll likely know the outcome of the DeAndre Ayton saga, which is of course pinballing back and forth in my mind as each, new report about the Suns comes out. In fact, on that note, this time of year, the rumors, the news, if you want to even call it that, moves fast enough that we're not even able to cover everything on our regular podcast without it being slightly outdated. And I say that to say that we did not touch on OG Ananobi in this episode, which is somebody that the Phoenix Suns could potentially trade for if the rumors that Jake Fisher put out there Uh, that he's unhappy in Toronto and Toronto's interested in DeAndre are true. But we did cover that on our Patreon episode. So if you're angry that we didn't cover that, you can still hear it on our Patreon if you sign up for our Patreon. We touched on OG Ananobi for about a half an hour and the Toronto Raptors from all perspectives as far as a potential trade partner for the Suns. Just feel free to sign up for that if you want to hear that. That's patreon.com slash timeline. I have a feeling stuff like that might be happening during the offseason where things will change fast enough that we won't be able to cover everything on our regular week weekly episode until it really slows down right before the season starts uh but we appreciate you guys for listening to us in this episode we appreciate the patrons as well don't forget if you're a patron you can sign up for our discord and join us there as well we'll be back very very people. soon oh, 200, 200 people yeah. in the discord already it's pretty awesome thank you and guys they're all
2: stunningly attractive
1: of course